Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Ephesians 5, verse 18 and 19. Welcome to Canaan Podcast, a podcast designed to offer the Christian rest during life's journey. Canaan Podcast features devotional segments by pastors and others serving the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, along with church history, mission news, and music by various Christian artists who support our teaching. My name is Philip Wells, and I will be your host for this episode. This is episode 135. We begin our time together with a message from Beard133.com called Music at Home. Music at home? I can't sing. Leading your family in a routine devotion allows for great freedom. You can read right from the Bible, read random selections from the Bible, follow any reading plan, read from a devotional booklet, read prayers, pray from the heart, read from a children's Bible, or sing. Music can be challenging for some. Leading your family in spiritual songs doesn't always come naturally. Sometimes you feel a bit like a failed choir director who doesn't know what they're doing. I found that out as my children gave me a blank stare when I invited them to try singing something which they never sang before. As much as I wanted to sing and hear music, all I heard was them silently saying, we don't know that song. If you've looked at the scriptures and have looked around, you've heard many encouragements in there for singing and for Christians to burst out in song. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The church has always used music. Much of the Bible, in fact entire books, are actually written as songs and music. When many other things are forgotten, these songs have endured and continue to find new notes and rhythms. What about your home? Luther as typical, says it rather forcefully and opinionated, I have no use for cranks who despise music because it is a gift of God. Music drives away the devil and makes people happy. They forget thereby all wrath, unchastity, arrogance, and the like. Next, after theology, I give to music the highest place and the greatest honor. Well, Today, I'm going to sing more. If you'd like to find a few ideas for incorporating music into a family devotion, visit beard133.com and look at this blog post, Music at Home. Some ideas include simply looking at the hymns that are found online on YouTube, listening to those, repeating them. Or you'd be amazed at how your own children can come up with their own songs. And if you can't sing, try reading a hymn. Try listening to Christian music. Or, perhaps, listen to this podcast. 
Isaiah 52 verse 9. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And now we have a song by Branches Band. I will sing forever from their album of Psalms based on Psalm 89. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. I will sing of the Lord's great love
And next we join Pastor Timothy Smith with God's Word for You. God's Word for You, Job 41, verses 18 to 26. Up to this point, the Lord's description of Leviathan has almost fit the crocodile, and some people have even thought the elephant, almost that is, but not quite. If the chapter had ended at this point, we would probably suspect Leviathan was the crocodile. But the Lord has more to say about this creature. Verse 18. Its snorting throws out flashes of light. Its eyes are like the rays of dawn. Now, is this merely highly figurative, exaggerated, poetic imagery? Notice that these verses aren't presented as a comparison, like as if it breathes fire, but as a fact. Its snorting throws out flashes of light. Actually, the word for snorting is an onomatopoeia. It's um, atasha. It means to achu or to sneeze. He's sneezing, the Lord said, is atasha, boasts of light. His eyes are like the rays, literally the eyelids of the dawn. There is light that peeks out from behind to disguise. Now, we don't need to associate all light with God. A volcano has something bright inside, but it's dangerous and deadly light, isn't it? And the Leviathan cloaks the danger within. Verses 19 to 21. Flames stream from his mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Its breath sets coals ablaze and flames dart from its mouth. Well, there's a picture of fiery destruction, and we can apply it to the destructive force of evil and the devil. However, could it still be a picture of an actual animal? Could ancient legends on almost every continent of the world of fire-breathing dragons have some basis in fact? If you look at only at verse 20, we could have a description of a warm-blooded creature breathing steam in a cold environment, like a muskox on the tundra. But the flames that are so clearly depicted in verses 19 and 21 show us that the Lord is describing more than a seal panting on an iceberg or a whale spouting into the sky. Since we don't have a definitive answer, it isn't my place to say that yes, this is a fire-breathing dragon, or no, it isn't, even if I might privately think to myself, I don't think so, or I think so. It's possible that some variety of dinosaur once breathed fire, something obviously known by God and perhaps remembered by people in Job's time, Again, it isn't my place to say yes or no, whatever my private opinions might be. Professor Rudolf Hanzi, author of Our Synod's People's Bible's volume on Job, agrees. He said, We must leave the question open and invite the reader to pursue it further through personal research or discussion with others. Suffice it to say that the Leviathan was a large and fierce creature that could arouse fear in the hearts of those who would come near him. Let's read verses 22 to 26. Strength resides in its neck. Dismay goes before it. The folds of its flesh are tightly joined. They are firm and immovable. Its chest is hard as rock, hard as a lower millstone. When it rises up, the mighty are terrified. They retreat before its thrashing. The sword that reaches it has no effect, nor does the spear or the dart or the javelin. With these verses, the Lord returns us to the more comfortable description of the terrible physical prowess of Leviathan. Neck, chest, impenetrable scales. I'd rather talk about that than fire-breathing things. But this is a monster that, either way, men don't want to meet. If we should be terrified by this creature when it rises up, shouldn't we be all the more terrified by Satan when he heaves himself into our lives? The devil is not a bunny we can frighten away by stomping our feet when he nibbles in the garden. 
He is a fallen angel with all of the might and fury of a created angel, but none of the compassion or mercy that comes from God himself. The devil is ruthless and terrible. His desire is to ensnare us in doubt and denial. The only sword that reaches him is the sword of the Spirit, which Paul said is the word of God, Ephesians 6.17. The devil's power tempts some people to worship him. We see it in Revelation 13. But we know that forgiveness and salvation can only come through Jesus and no one else. Now God makes these bold points so that we will clearly see that our salvation depends on God alone. The equation, heaven or hell, has no remainder, no footnote, no sidebar. We trust fully and completely on God alone. He is the means of eternal life. He is our Savior. And there is no more beautiful way of putting it than that. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you. And now we have a message from 1 Peter chapter 3, written by Mark Falk and read by Philip Wells. 1 Peter 3, verse 1-7 Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with the respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Why start with verse 7? Because of the age in which we live. Many a Christian woman has no quarrel with verses 1-6. through The unbelieving world has a big problem with these verses. They are just one more example of a social construct created to keep one group, men, dominant, and another, women, subservient. This postmodern viewpoint has led many, even in the outward church, to accuse the Apostle Paul and Peter of chauvinism. Of course, they were just children of their day. But is it fair to accuse the Holy Spirit, who is the real author of these words, of being unfair to women? Truth be told, there is no better place in the world, no religion, no worldview, than standing beside and being led by a man who lives these verses. Peter pulls no punches with men. Women may dispute the weaker partner, but how many examples of spousal abuse are instigated by the women in the relationship? How often do we really need to see the bloodied body of an abused wife? In our hearts, we know that men have the physical advantage almost always. But how about a true Christian man? Each of us must take verse 7 to heart. We want God to hear our prayers, don't we? There is the strong implication that he turns a deaf ear to those who treat their fellow heirs of life, their believing wives, with less than respect and love. If you need more pointed, pointed words, go to Ephesians 5 verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The husband is the head of the one flesh thing called marriage. 
but one Christian man has said and written that they need to exercise this headship from the foot of the table, i.e. as servants. That does not remove their authority or the responsibility they carry. Remember that Eve was the first to grab the fruit in the garden, but Adam gets the blame. He is the head of the family and the head of the race. So much for a Bible that is unfair to women. So how do we men do this? Are we buffoons like Raymond Barone? Bullies like Archie Bunker? Pond scum like the endless list of powerful men who cheat on their wives because they can? I don't see this in the faithful men of the church. But each man must listen well to Peter and to God. We must confess that we sometimes love our wives because it works better. Because we may get something we want by being nicer. Hardly the way to treat fellow heirs of heaven. So we get up each day, put our pants on, and go to work at being the husbands and fathers God has called us to be. Both husband and wife must join in the confession of real sins against each other and against God who created marriage and tells us how it ought to work. Having confessed our sins one more time, we rejoice in the gracious gift of life. We are not heirs of heaven because our homes are such fortresses of righteousness, except the righteousness of Christ, who has made us right with God by his perfect life and death in our place. Only Jesus could have been the perfect husband, and indeed he is, for Paul uses marriage as a picture of our life with Jesus. The church is the bride of Christ, dressed in his robe of his holiness. We end our time together this week with a song by Koine, when in our music, God is glorified. Sure. 
against the light have been listening to episode 135 of Canaan Bound Podcast. 
This podcast was first shared in October of 2018. Visit CanaanBoundPodcast.com to find old shows and links to the artists and contributors featured in this podcast. We'd like to thank Branches Band and Koine for allowing us to share their music with you this week. We encourage you to visit wells.net to find a Wells ministry location near you. Thank you for listening.